Hi, I'm Erin O'Hara, Executive Director of the Tennessee Education Research Alliance. And I'm Laura Bucker, Executive Director of Research at the Tennessee Department of Education. And this is The Tenth Period. Welcome to the eighth episode of The Tenth Period, which is our podcast designed to bring you up to speed on the latest research in education in Tennessee and talk a little bit about the impact of that research in the field and the reaction to it from the State Department of Education. So, Laura, um, today, you know, we cover a lot of important issues on this podcast, um, and some of them are, are tough issues um, and can be hard to talk about sometimes. Retention and teacher diversity, uh, school improvement. These are things that are critical to making sure that our kids are learning, that our educators are growing. Um, today's episode's a little bit different. Even with those tough issues, normally we're able to sort of bring in some humor and lightness and pod- to the podcast today. Hopefully we'll get a little bit of that today, but today we're talking about a really pretty serious subject, which is school safety. Um, So this episode is really about the safety of our kids, my kids, your kids, the kids in Tennessee collectively, but also about, critically, the safety of our educators and of our first responders. Um, And so a really important topic. That's right. School safety is really about making sure that our students in Tennessee are protected from events that we hope never happen, whether that be a natural disaster or a school shooting like the tragic incidents um, that we've had recently in this country in uh, Parkland, Florida, or in uh, Newtown, Connecticut. Um, So really what we're doing today is we're bringing in a researcher from the Tennessee Department of Education who's been diving into some data around school safety. And then we're also going to be talking to Dr. Greg Wallace, who's the supervisor of safety and mental health in Johnson City Schools. And then finally, Mike Herman, who's our executive director of school safety and transportation at the Tennessee Department of Education. And these people are going to be sharing with us what we've seen in some reviews of our school's safety plans and school risks assessments. And they're also going to be talking with us about what we can do as a community to help support helping make our schools the safe place that they should be for our students. Yeah. And so I, you know, I started with talking a little bit about this feeling slightly different. I mean, this, you know, this topic is sort of near and dear, I think, to anyone's heart, um, but particularly for for parents, for educators to knowing that our schools are safe. And, and it's important that we talk about um, the types of things you just described around, you know, school shootings and that type of thing, which I think for a lot of us when we think about this topic is um, really the most prominent in our heads and also probably the scariest and all of these other things. Um, uh, but it's also a broader topic. I mean, there are all sorts of other things in the state of Tennessee that we need to be prepared for. People don't necessarily think about the fact that we have some fault lines in our state. And, That's right. And I am from you know Memphis, Tennessee, where we're near a fault line, and I had to participate in earthquake drills growing up. Right, and that's a you know a real concern. But then there are other it, sort of the range of issues too. Right, when we talk about just sort of the very basic issues of making sure that schools are safe from bullying to uh, safety procedures in the school and beyond. This is a sensitive topic, but it's one that it's important that we don't shy shy away from and that we actually do look at our data and think about how we can improve because even though we hope it's something that never happens, we want to be prepared in the case that that it does. And the more practiced and prepared you are, the more likely that in the case of an emergency you're able to react well. That's right. So let's go ahead and bring in Zach Stone, who is a researcher at the Tennessee Department of Education, to answer a few questions about what he's been seeing in the data. Zach, welcome to the 10th period. Thank you for having me. Could you go ahead and get started by just telling us what it is that you saw in the findings from the school's security assessments and a little bit about, you know, just maybe some of the background um, and why the department started looking at this data? 
Sure. I'm happy to give you some of the background. Uh, so in March 2018, uh, there were some recommendations that came out of the Governor's School Safety Working Group. Um, uh, one of those was to create an assessment tool that would um, that would look at uh, school safety in different schools. Um, uh, two of the other recommendations were also to look at uh, emergency operations plans and uh, drill logs that keep record of uh, what type of preparedness is going on um, throughout the state. So so this is sort of a, as part of an effort to get more information at the department about just what actually is planned for in schools and how people are executing against that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So our role was to take a look uh, at that information, uh, much of which was collected for the very first time, and um, see what exactly was going on in, at schools, at the school level, in terms of school safety. So what'd you see? So uh, I'll start by with talking about the assessments, um, the school security assessments. Uh, just a little additional background. Those tools were developed by the Tennessee Department of Safety and Homeland Security. It had 89 items. Uh, schools were rated on whether they uh, met, exceeded, or did not meet each of the standards on that assessment. Uh, at least one school member, uh, typically the principal, and one member of the local law enforcement agency was was tasked with completing these assessments. So this is a real school. collaborative effort where they're kind of getting together in a group and then they're walking around the school and identifying, you know, how they check off against this list. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, so we uh, we collected that data. We had a total of uh, just over 1,800 schools that submitted uh, their school security assessments. And that's an important point is that they had to submit these assessments to be eligible from for some additional funding that Governor Bill Haslam and the legislature set aside for school safety, right? Right. That's correct. That's correct. That, that the, the grant funding was contingent upon uh, these assessments. Um, so to... In, in looking at those assessments, to better understand the specific areas of strengths and weaknesses, um, we organized items that were uh, that were most relevant to school facilities and operations into nine different domains. And we saw in the data that uh, schools were well-prepared in most of these areas, um, including per perimeter control, which would be uh, controlling access to a school's campus, uh, visitor management, which is screening of, and tracking people that are coming into your buildings, communications, um, whether that's communications in the building or even with first responders and families, uh, emergency planning and prevention, um, so having that documentation, uh, training, which would be drills and other types of training you would need for safety. Safety, um, and personnel, which would be having that school-related uh, staff in your building. So we did see through these uh, security, school security assessments that they were strong in those areas. Um, but there were some weaknesses. Uh, the data also identified that vehicle control, so limiting access to vehicles on your school grounds, um, access control, preventing unauthorized access to schools, and um, surveillance, which would be monitoring any activity that's going inside, uh, going on inside of your school. Um, those we all found that those were potential areas for for improvement in schools. And Zach, is that an area where you've heard people using the funding to kind of bulk up uh, against some of those areas of for improvement? Yes, definitely. Um, schools have received that funding, and and we know now that schools are buying equipment. Schools are um, adding uh, school resource officers, uh, SROs, um, to as um, additional personnel. But yeah, they're definitely um, using that money and. Um, putting it towards some of those uh, vulnerabilities that were identified in the school uh, security assessments. 
So, Zach, in addition to the assessments, you all looked at the comparison between the assessments and the emergency operations plans. Can you talk a little bit about um, what the difference is between the two things and then what you learned? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, as as Laura mentioned earlier, all schools are required to have emergency operations plan. Um, so this would be a document in um, which all of your security procedures are codified in, in some way. And it's really uh, the main resource for a school, uh, whether it be the principals, the teachers, the families, even those outside of the school like first responders. Um, it's, it's the main resource that would have guidelines for what to do in any type of of a situation that would require some sort of uh, security response or response. So the process of even creating these plans is the process of thinking through what all of those different potential situations might be and thinking through what your reaction would be to those, right? Right, exactly. Um, So so we went through a sample of EOPs as, as... it's abbreviated. And um, so while we saw that the school's uh, security assessments indicated that schools were meeting many of the safety standards uh, of their facility, uh, the EOPs generally lacked a lot of that, uh, a lot of documentation for a number of uh, important safety practices and procedures. So um, in fact, the majority of the EOPs that, that we looked at met fewer than half of the rubric items that we had, and none of them met all of them. So although schools may have been meeting these security standards in practice, um, when the principal and law enforcement were going through and looking for all of those things, they were not necessarily putting um, these actions into their EOPs and into their plans. Why is that important? Um, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, it, it, it's the main resource for um, what to do uh, if you were to have a situation, you know, some of the things that came up earlier, earthquakes, uh, school shootings, any type of emergency situation. But um, it's important on a lot of different levels uh, that the, in a lot of these situations, you need to react quickly. So it would be important to uh, establish that chain of command. Um, it would be important to communicate what's going on throughout the school. Um, everyone has a specific role that they would need to be undertaking during that time. And then it's also important for uh, parents to know what to do if they need to come and uh, pick up their children during an emergency. It's important for the first responders to know uh, where they need to enter the building, where certain shutoffs are in the building, what they need to be doing, and what uh, the people in the building are already doing. You know, Zach and two other people reviewed these plans, and um, you know, I know they varied really with some of them being one page and some of them being you know up to 180 pages. So I, I'm excited for us to talk to Mike in, in a little bit more, Mike Herman at the department, about what his team is doing to give feedback on those plans. So, Zach, any any um, other sort of big takeaways for you about the work that you've done here? Yes. So the, the one other source of data that we looked at were the drill logs. And um, we, we saw that schools are committed to um, preparing their students through drills. Uh, schools conduct on average uh, 15 drills per year. Um, but at the same time, we saw that um, many schools weren't meeting all of the drill requirements. Um, for example, uh, you know, not all schools were conducting fire drills every 30 days or uh, doing a lockdown drill um, with law enforcement involved. Um, 
And that could be for a variety of reasons. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that they weren't doing those drills, but it could mean that they weren't in the logs necessarily. Or we, there have been um, a lot of changes to the drill requirements in recent years. So um, it's sometimes hard for uh, schools to uh, just stay up to date on exactly what it is they need to be doing with, with the drill requirements. It sounds like um, a couple of things to talk with uh, Greg Wallace from Johnson City Schools about and also Mike Herman about here in a minute, um, really focused on what is the purpose of these different uh, items that you Mm -hmm. have, the assessment, the emergency operations plan and the drill logs. And and importantly, I think for the educators and parents and others who are listening, what can they know and how should they be asking about those things? In addition to school board members and others, right, if this is a critically important issue, then there are a number of people who might have important questions and you all have gotten a great start on this and we're excited to have some more conversation. Thanks so much for your work, Zach. Absolutely. Thank you, Zach. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. So now we'll move on to our segment we like to call On the Spot. We are going to call Dr. Greg Wallace in Johnson City Schools. Dr. Wallace is the supervisor of safety and mental health with Johnson City Schools, um, a longtime uh, director of school safety in the district, a mentor for other school districts, um, and as well the administrator of one of our uh, largest safe schools and healthy students grants, um, the Heroes Program in Johnson uh, Johnson City, which was um, has been cited as a model um, across the state. So, Dr. Wallace, thanks so much for joining us. Can we start by just having you tell us a little bit about your role um, and what it means to be the supervisor of safety and mental health for Johnson City Schools? Sure. So, you referenced uh, earlier the uh, 2008 uh, Safe Schools Healthy Student Grant that we received, and it really evolved from that. Um, because that was money that was really appropriated by the federal government to help schools in particular deal with some of these kind of major school safety incidents. And what we were able to do after the federal portion of the money went away, we we had had so much success with it locally, had been recognized nationally with it, um, we were able to fully sustain that programming. So my job, my current job, is really just an extension of that where we have two kind of fundamental pieces in Johnson City. Um, it's A big part of it is our, our mental health piece, which is how we make sure we've got additional support, local mental health uh, clinics at all of our schools um, to identify students that have a, additional needs that may be a risk to themselves or others, um, get them preventative services. That's a huge piece. And then the second part of that, obviously, is that preventative or that that reactionary piece where we have additional SROs in our building. So, Dr. Wallace, could you talk a little bit about, um, and I think you've seen the department's new report on school safety, and how some of the trends in terms of the findings, specifically that the, you know, the emergency operations plans maybe were a little bit varied in terms of quality and how that compared with what you see in terms of school safety planning in your district? Yeah, I, I feel like... One of the things that the the latest uh, security assessment, the, the piece that the state sent out, was, was something that we have talked about at schools for a long time, certainly in the state of Tennessee, where there's been this big evolution where schools eventually or essentially used to always just kind of make these decisions on their own, kind of in isolation. Um, they And they really didn't have the level of expertise to do that that schools really had to reach out and, and really rely on 
not only the local expertise, but state expertise and sometimes national expertise and how to really prepare an emerg- a, a really well-rounded emergency operation plan. So to me, that's been the biggest evolution that I've seen um, in the last um, eight or 10 years of school safety. And I, I feel like that is something that certainly was highlighted in the state safety report. So, uh, Dr. Wallace, as we were talking to Zach Stone, who helped write the report for the Department of Education, one of the things I was thinking about was, uh, you know, it, it seems important to have a, a big and comprehensive plan, but I, I can imagine as a uh, someone who's in schools with some level of regularity, the minute that there is some sort of emergency, I, I'm not sure how that plan is useful in that scenario. So, like, why why are the plans important? Um in an emergency situation or before an emergency situation, what's the what's the purpose really? Well, I think I think to me the biggest uh, purpose of the plan is that you're you're really going to to uh, practice really what you've prepared for. So if you've got, and I think there has been a movement in the schools to to kind of have people like me in positions to really support their their individual schools um, in in an event of an emergency. And, and what happens is when you when you really have a well-rounded plan and you put that plan in practice through your drills and through your tabletop exercises, there's a much more likelihood that schools, when these emergencies occur, are going to practice it. Uh, and that's what I've seen, again, part of that evolution of school safety, the need for well-rounded emergency operation plans, is in the past these things were were documents that we had to do for the state People would turn them in, they'd put them on the shelf, and I'm not sure there was ever really any practical application to them. And now with the the emphasis that the state has placed on increased support from school safety, it's certainly something that schools are much more cognizant of and are certainly using and developing much more um, successful plans. You mentioned um, tabletop uh, exercises. Can you just explain really quickly what that is for folks who might not know? Well, a tabletop exercise is, is an opportunity for you to drill in, a, in an isolated situation with key players. So you can't always do a full-scale drill. Um, there's just lots of uh, barriers to that. Uh, you obviously want to include full-scale drills in, in your plan, and certainly there are some requirements in the law that you have to do so. But also there are a, a, there are times when you just need to be able to talk through situations. And one of, one of the commitments that we've made in Johnson City is that we want to do not just what the state requires, but we want to go above and beyond. And one of the ways that we address that is to our faculty meetings, we'll have our SRS come in, lay out a scenario, and then we can walk through that scenario without students. And it's just another way of practicing that, that larger scale emergency operation plan that you have. Dr. Wallace, could you talk a little bit about how the supports the the state you've gotten from the state more recently have been helpful and what additional supports you'd feel like you need from the state government and also from your community around safety and security in your schools? Well, I, you know, I've been very fortunate to travel to other states. It's kind of part of my role, um, certainly at, through the HEROES program when we have the Safe Schools Healthy Student Grant. And one of the things that I've noticed in talking to other people like me in other states is that we're really ahead of the game. In the past, maybe schools were really, really good about maybe dealing with a particular part of it, active shooter, or you know some of these things that have garnered a lot of attention in the news. 
Um, but now what we've had to think about is that those things are much less likely to happen than maybe a suicide in your school or a bus accident in your school. So the state's attention to that has certainly um, gone down to the school level and helped us understand the need to have a comprehensive plan. So that's the first part. I just think that the school, that the state has made a, a conscientious decision to put an emphasis in on, in on providing a state level support. So what we need, um, the kind of the second part of that question is, I, I just feel like um, that a continued effort in that, I know the state has a mentor program. I've been a part of that. They've expanded that a little bit with this latest um, emphasis on safety after the Parkland shooting situation. Um, I think those are great steps that need to continue because they provide one person can't do the entire state. So they provide some experts in particular fields that the state can utilize uh, for people to call upon when they have need. What about locally? Is there anything that you're thinking about locally with your community? Well, we're very fortunate um, in Johnson City. Again, we were one of the first systems in the United States to fully sustain our Safe Schools Healthy Students grant after that uh, federal funding went away. So we're very fortunate that we have a lot of buy-in from our city commission. Uh, they've continued to support our services. Uh, we'll have 14 SROs in our schools this year, um, and that's one for every school, three at the high school. Um, that's wow full-time, and that is completely funded through the city commission. We don't pay a penny for that. And they do not and just, I mean, I, I know part of the way that you all operate is around this, the sort of mental health aspects of that as well. So that are the SROs doing both of those things, or are those two different uh, sets of folks? Uh, yeah, so they support that. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Well, part of the myth of having SROs, uh, SROs in schools is that kind of uh, school-to-prison pipeline. You know, uh, what we have seen is actually having them there decreases the amount of arrest. So part of what we want to do with our police officers, obviously, they're there as a security presence, but also to develop relationships because relationships are the key, and we kind of see that throughout. So so kind of back to that piece of locally, I, I, what we have is what I would hope everybody would have. Um, one of our, our superintendent that just recently retired, he said something I thought was really interesting. He said to our school board, so I never want to come to you after an event has happened and say we need we should have put this in place. Yeah. But I'd, I'd much rather say these are things that can help us from ever having that conversation. And and I and I think we, if if every local school district has that same kind of conversation, develops those genuine partnerships, those authentic relationships with those first responders, um, that's the piece that I you know when I talk to other schools, I still feel like is maybe lacking locally. I, I just I want to say thanks so much for your thoughts and your helpfulness on this topic and also for the work that you've been doing, not only in your own district, but uh, working with other districts. It's just this has been a really informative conversation as a parent. I'm grateful for learning about all the things you all are doing there. Um, and thanks for taking the time to be with us here today. Thank you, Dr. Great. Wallace. Thank you all.
Now let's bring on Mike Herman, Executive Director of School Safety and Transportation at the Tennessee Department of Education to talk a little bit about what the department is doing uh, as far as next steps around school safety in Tennessee. So hi, Mike. Welcome to the 10th hey, period. Laura, thanks for having me over. I really appreciate the invitation. Yeah, we're glad that you're here. Oh, yeah. So Mike, before we get started with some of the questions around what the department is doing and the report that we're talking about today, can you tell us, I, I know you've been working in this field for a while. Can you tell us just a little bit about your perspective on how it's evolved over time and what you think the big issues are today? Sure. I actually, uh, I started in this field in 1995. Um a lot has happened since then. Uh, we've been through all sorts of different tragedies with schools, but um, I think we've made tremendous progress. Um, schools think fundamentally differently than they did 20 years ago about these issues. Uh, so I'm very, I'm proud of all the work that folks have done. Um, the thing that kind of strikes me is um, even as we move along, the importance of really staying with basics. And that's why I think this particular issue is so important, because the planning part and uh, the response procedures are really just fundamental things that uh, have to be taken care of before we try and get into some of these more uh, exotic approaches to to safety. Yeah. So you can talk just a little bit then about um, what the role of the State Department is and what the role of the school district is and what the role of the school is in preparation and planning. Okay. Well, you know, first and foremost, I think uh, the most obvious thing, schools have this in loco parentis responsibility to, uh, in lieu of a parent, a parent or guardian, uh, being in a position to really um, foresee uh, dangers and, and taking reasonable steps to do something about it. So from, a, from just a strictly legal standpoint, uh, it's important that we, that we acknowledge that. But I think more significantly, um, we know that in order for students to succeed, they've got to feel comfortable at school. Uh, they have to feel safe, physically safe, emotionally safe, um, and true so, for teachers and principals and, as well. Especially yeah. true for teachers. You know, I, I think we, we tend to neglect that. Yeah. Um, but in a lot of ways, I really see the safety issue as being an equity issue. Mm. Uh, because when we think about being able to retain good, high-quality teachers uh, and all of those other issues, um, safety and perceptions of safety certainly play into that. So I think, though, our responsibility as a department is to recognize the fact that schools and districts really do need support to, to do an effective job. We ask schools to do all sorts of things. We replace plus all sorts of demands on yep. schools and school leaders. Uh, and this is just one of them. You know, granted, it's one of the, I think, one of the most important. Um, but, you know, we've got to carve out some time. We've got to carve out um, – some opportunities for them to take care of these things. And I, I think we're positioned in a place that we can help them do that efficiently. Um, part of, of what we've got to do is be sure that um, they develop these partnerships uh, with law enforcement, with first responders, with mental health. Um, and I think we can sort of help expedite some of that. So, Mike, as part of this um, you know, school safety working group and the recommendations that developed and then the, you know, needs assessments um, and uh, 
an emergency plans analysis. I know there was also some funding um, from you know, the legislature that the General Assembly set aside for enhancing school safety. Um, how have you heard schools and districts using that that funding, and how has that sort of tied to areas of need that you've seen across the state? Well, you know, I, I really think that's that's one of the most exciting things about this whole project is um, unlike, uh, I think, a lot of states, um, Tennessee uh, really went about this in a pretty methodical way. Um, so the expectation is that uh, all schools will assess their security and look at their vulnerabilities uh, and then use the funding to address those vulnerabilities. Um, a lot of times what I've seen in the past uh, following um, incidents like we had this winter was, um, you know, we got bogged down in, in political struggles uh, and weren't really able to sort of get to the place where uh, we were able to do concrete things. So the funding's been made available. Uh, what I see is a lot of different things being done in schools. Um, there's a lot of just very basic things, which I think are very, very important. Being able to lock doors, being able to control access to the building, being able to screen visitors, um, cost-effective things like uh, using film to make glass shatter-resistant. Um, and, you know, a pretty substantial number of, of uh, schools and districts that are using the funding to address things like supports for students, uh, contracts with mental health providers, and that sort of thing. So it's a, it's a little bit of everything. I like your point about the way that Tennessee took this on in terms of the needs assessment and then attaching the way that they were using that funding to actual needs that they saw in their own self-assessment. I think we've accomplished more in the last year uh, than I've seen in a very long time. Well, as a parent, that's a great thing to hear, too. <laughs> um, Mike, when you think about the next steps um, for the department and you know working with school districts and schools – around needs assessments and the safety plans and emergency operation plans and drill logs. Like, what do you think are the most important things and what, do you, what are you thinking about regularly and what do you want the school districts and schools to be thinking about regularly? Uh, I think the most important thing for us is to use the data that we now have. Um, it's so easy to get distracted and uh, to want to sort of implement things that are kind of shiny and, and look sort of exciting. Um, but the basics are really, really important. Uh, let's lock the doors. Let's be sure that we know how we're going to respond to all of these different emergencies. And, and let's be sure that everybody in the building knows how to do that. And that they're practicing. And that they're practicing. And, and so, so the study was really so important in terms of giving us data about, you know, what is going on. Um, one of the things that, you know, we've been hearing through the years from teachers is, you know, we really don't feel prepared. Um, and so, you know, I think this, this gives us some direction to really get very concrete about the kinds of guidance and kinds of supports that, that we provide to schools. Um, one of the things that we've done historically is uh, provide templates for uh, schools and districts around what should be in these plans. One of the things, though, that we've got to be careful about that is um, we can give everybody a plan and a book, but um, the important part of the plan is the planning. Uh, you know, I think Dwight Eisenhower said this after D-Day, that the plan really didn't mean anything. It was the planning that was important. Mm -hmm. So what we want to see happen is those relationships occur 
between schools, local first responders. Uh, we have opportunities to discuss with teachers. Uh, this is how we want you to respond. These are the things that we want you to do. Um, and really practice those so that, that they do become second nature. I have a sense that um, a number of our listeners are teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes teachers, principals also happen to be parents and community members themselves. Um, if you were uh, any of those roles, which I know you are and have been <laughs> over time, uh, what would you suggest to people that they should be thinking about if I want to know more about what's happening at my school or how my kids are protected or or any of these? First and foremost, I would ask my my student. I would ask my child, um, you know, I heard you had a drill today. You know, what was that like? What did you do? Um, did you learn anything? Um, and, I, you know, I think the really important thing that can happen at home is transferring what you learned at school to how you can use that in your life. So uh, what did you learn today um, in terms of, of um, you know, the fire drill or the lockdown that you might be able to use if you were at the mall or, you know, if you were at so-and-so's house? Um, and t- to help put that in context for the student, and particularly in an in a age-appropriate way. So I, I think that's, that's, that's very, very important. I think as a parent, you know, to ask, you know, your school leaders, well, tell us about the drills that are being done. You know, tell us about, you know, how, how the, those are going to occur. And, you know, in the event of an emergency, what do you want me as a parent to do? You know, what What should I reasonably expect? I think those are all very legitimate questions. Yeah, and good for schools to also be thinking about the ways that they're communicating those things with oh, parents absolutely. and community absolutely. members. Absolutely. Communication is, is just 75% of the battle here. Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you so much for being here today. Is there anything else that you want to communicate to our listeners of the 10th period? I'm just so proud of how our state has has managed it this year. Um, We conducted security assessments in 18, every public school in the state participated in a security assessment. Um, We've received emergency operations plans from every public school in the state. So, uh, and for all of that to happen in a relatively short period of time is, is really very, very amazing. And I think it happened because people really care about this issue. Um, and I think it puts us in a much stronger place. So, Thank you for the work that you're doing now and for the work you've done for a number of years and also just the care and thoughtfulness that you bring to this. It, uh, it really is a privilege to work with you. So thank you very much. Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate that. Thanks for being here, Mike. Thanks, Laura. that brings this episode of the 10th period to a conclusion. And um, I I think um, you and I probably both have had lots of thoughts, but what are your big takeaways from the conversation today? Well, I'm really thrilled that our research team could be part of this effort because, you know, it is something that is just so critical to, like Mike said, making sure that our kids have a safe environment to learn in. You know, all the other things that we can do about how do we help them learn faster? How do we make sure that they have equal access to resources and, you know, that we have teacher diversity? I mean, the safety piece is so fundamental. The other thing that's got me thinking about today is, you know, I have two small children in a preschool, and I think sometimes, you know, the the key card that I have to 
use to get in and out of their school and the, the fact that I have to sign them in and out each day can occasionally be a little bit annoying. But I think I sometimes take for granted the fact that my kids are in a place that values their safety and security above all else. And I'm really now, you know, fortunate and thinking about the fact that I'm so, you know, lucky that I I can take that for granted, yeah. um, you know, and knowing that they are prioritizing those different things around school safety. And as a parent, as a community member, this helps me kind of think in a new light a little bit, you know, about the things that our educators are doing on a day-to-day basis, not just to educate our, our kids, but also just to, to keep them safe. Yeah, it, it, I um, I echo that. And it's, it's part of actually why at the beginning of the conversation, I was sort of struggling a little bit with how to think about talking about this issue, because it is so basic to everything we do. And I'm so I'm grateful for all the folks who work on this from Mike down to, you know, through the school districts down to, frankly, my kids' principal and and teachers and the ways that they try and balance these issues that people have around logistics and safety um, and how important that is. The other thing that had me thinking a lot about was um, I feel like, you know, Zach, uh, Greg, Mike all talked about prevention and preparation and how important those things are from, you know, funding mental health programs as Johnson City has done for so many years to looking at deeply together people sitting down to create emergency operation plans, to do tabletop exercises, and, you know, critically, the school district paying attention to how solid a, a plan is and, and how prepared people are. And then the department doing that same thing around this self-assessment and uh, emergency operations. I'm also grateful that, you know, the state has actually um, come up with some, as Mike said, some good ways to think about this and and, uh, and added some funding and, and really thought about um, about these issues. So I, I feel like as, as much as anything, the plan and the preparation and the prevention really are, are, uh, are important here. And I'm, I'm you know, Glad, really glad we got to talk about these things today. And while we're saying that we appreciate all those who are taking care of our children, we also just want to say that we appreciate everybody who's listening to the 10th period. And we hope that you guys will share this with others who might like to hear a little bit more about what the State Department, what schools and districts are doing and thinking about around school safety in Tennessee. So thanks for being with us today and looking forward to 2019 and more podcasts to come from the 10th period. Um, Hope everyone has a safe and happy holiday season.